All right, Forge family, you're welcome to this celebration of what the West, the church in the West calls Palm Sunday, but through the ages, this Sunday before Easter has perhaps been known better as Passion Sunday. It commemorates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on the first day of the week prior to Passover. And um, a whole bunch of the resources I read said, oh, that's A.D. 32. Well... It could be. <laughs> but that would put it exactly 173,880 days from the time of Daniel's prophecy about the entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, and the cutting off of Messiah, which followed later that week. <clears throat> All four of the gospel narratives reflect on this event kind of in their own words and their own thoughts, what they saw, what they wrote down, or what they heard firsthand. And we know that uh, much of Luke's gospel was related to him by Mary, the mother of Jesus. So it's highly probable that she was there. So today I'm going to be in and out of Mark 11 and Luke 19. Let's pray. Father God, who is fully interactive with human history, uh, we would lift up your name as this account of the entry into Jerusalem is told. Lord, uh, we want to be spontaneous. If there's something that rises in us, Lord, this isn't rehearsed. There's no call and response here. It's just whatever, Lord, you're moving in our hearts, we want to be responsive to. We're grateful for prophecy fulfilled and for that which is to come. We would be those who make the ways plain for, our, for, for uh, Jesus to come into our state, our cities and towns, Lord, into our families and and neighborhoods, and to our extended families, and also to the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the pre-dawn gray light in Bethany, Jesus and his disciples start rolling out of their robes, getting on their feet. You know, the day has begun. Uh, They're preparing for something. They, they stayed in the compound in the house of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And possibly there were bowls of hummus and fresh pita being passed around for breakfast at that point. <clears throat> they, they were preparing themselves to try and hit the, the top of the, the Mount of Olives just as the sun shot over the top of that and struck the gold-plated parts of the temple and would flash back. Jesus had already dispatched one of his followers to go and collect a, the, the colt of a donkey, the foal, you know, a, a little, you know, not mature yet, never trained, never ridden before donkey. <clears throat> and when that donkey arrived, those who'd been in Sabbath school remembered that 670 years before, Zechariah wrote this down. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So those those who recognize that, their hearts would have leapt with joy. It's like, this is happening, it's today. This little band of, of Jesus and his followers, they sort of hit the top of that ridge the mount of olives and the the sun hits that temple and 
there's this rise inside of them. This year in Jerusalem for Passover. Because all over Judaism, there was that phrase that said, next year in Jerusalem for Passover. Now, it's present reality for them. And so they start moving down the slope of the Mount of Olives toward the Kidron Valley, where this little seasonal creek ran through. Jewish historians tell us that there were some 2,500,000 people had flooded into Jerusalem for Passover that week. Traditionally, there are places around the outside of the walls of Jerusalem where people who came from Palestine, north, south, east, west, you know, from, you know, or from the regions around, or from other nations, they would bed down. They would, it wasn't quite camping out, okay, but they would bed down for the night around the walls, and the people of Galilee were known to have been found at those, at those Passover celebrations in the south part of the, of the um, uh, Garden of Gethsemane. It was out there. Uh, that was their space. And uh, as, he, as he arrives close to them, um, there's a murmur. There's a recognition. Now, the, the, the Jews who came from Galilee were the, were the simple, unsophisticated, not highly educated uh, parts of that nation. Uh, in contrast to them uh, were the sophisticated, educated, wealthy people who lived in the city. And the people who lived in the city looked at the Galileans as the bubbas of that day. You know, the, the ones who just sort of made life happen a day at a time. Okay? And it was these wealthy city dwellers. and They were also the ones who were politically positioned in the city. Okay? Um, religion for them. Spirituality for those wealthy ones was pretty much a thin veneer uh, because wealth and politics were, were their gods. The Galileans really had nothing to lose. The city dwellers and the religious leaders, um, they were always on the lookout to protect their streams of income, their store of wealth, and this profitable balance that they had going on between the Roman army, garrison, praetor, Pilate, present in the, in the city, and the things that the Jews wanted to do, and they, they figured out a profitable way to do that between them. <clears throat> so as Jesus rode the donkey down through the Galilean encampment, people began to spontaneously lay their prayer shawls and robes on the path that Jesus was riding over. A murmur of awe and praise began to rise, and it rose, and it rose, and it became a mighty shout! You know, there was a, there was a total disruption of the normal passage through and um, people inside the city heard it and they wanted to know what was going on. The Passion Translation translates what they were shouting and it said it was a loud outburst of ecstatic joy over the mighty wonders of power that they had witnessed. Jesus had spent most of his three years of ministry in Galilee and they had seen it, they'd felt it, they'd experienced it. They could say, oh, I know that one over there, she was healed. He had his foot straightened and on and on amongst those in that encampment. 
as this throng, this exultant crowd passed down toward the Kidron, the creek bed. Other gospel writers say that um, the crowd would pick up, cut off uh, branches, green branches, palm branches, palm fronds. One of the gospel writers said that there was straw that was spread out in front of Jesus for the donkey to ride over. And they took off their, their robes and they took off their, their prayer shawls and they spread those on the road as well. <clears throat> now, praise of God was most often lifted in the temple courts. Now, this morning I read Psalm 127. That was what a psalm of ascents. It was meant that that was being sung and being, being it was a you know, repeated a joyful noise in whatever form it was, whether it was set to melody or they just got it out of their mouth as they went up to the temple. Okay, but mostly praise was aimed at interior courts in the, in the temple. But here, Holy Spirit is coloring outside the lines because he's loosing praise right there on the highway you know, in a, in a most unusual place. I mean, there's unprecedented. Nobody ever praised on, on the Kidron down there. <clears throat> and it was amongst walking pilgrims, not priests. Levites were scheduled to sing. This is what they were shouting again. Bring the victory. We welcome the one coming with the blessing of being sent from the Lord Yahweh. Blessings rest on this kingdom he ushers in right now. The kingdom of David, bring us the victory in the highest realms of heaven. That was a now thing. That was their expectations. So as this mob closed on the walls of Jerusalem, they were met with a pulse of humanity who had heard the hubbub and the shouts that came pushing out through the gate. And, and the unanimous praise and joy got mingled got sort of tangled up with those who were going, what, what is this? You know, who is it? Oh, oh, it's Jesus. Well, we've heard about him, you know, etc. So it, 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 the, the water got a little muddied at that point. And almost at that point, uh, Jesus was um, challenged by the religious elite. And I believe at this point, the religious elite were um, Sadducees. Pharisees were concerned for all the careful, careful keeping of the micro points of the law. Sadducees. Number one, they didn't believe in, in resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. And they were the politicians. They were the ones who would have been most frequently in the hall with Pilate, sort of negotiating and renegotiating and smoothing things over. And, and, um, and they were the ones who were shocked that this crowd was saying, a new king is coming into the city because that went right into the face of the Roman occupation and the Sadducees had a financial stake in keeping things the way they were. And so they challenge Jesus and tell him, stop these people from praising you. Because they look at it and they say, oh, they're obviously Galileans. I mean, you can smell them. They're, you know. <laughs> uh, and and they're, they don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're crying out. You know, they're calling about a new king. It's like, do you realize what that means in this city? And, and Jesus' answer is just choice to the effect of, if these who praise were silenced, the very rocks would cry out. Now, we think of worship as being generated organically inside of us. We are from our hearts and our minds and our mouths and our hands. You know, it's an organic thing. But here, you have 
you have the, the author and the contractor of creation. And he knew, personally knew, those inorganic rocks. And he knew that they could shout of their creator. But what was Jesus there for? What put him at that spot? Now, so before Jesus had come up from the Jordan River with his disciples, he had said to them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. They weren't having any of that. They asked some questions. They were shocked. They kind of went, ah, ooh, yeah. You know, but we're going. And right here is this, is this um, smoothed over, glossed over uh, thing of the shouted praise and the announcement of Jesus that covered up that hard truth of Jesus' statement, I'm going up to die. He was there on that day to, to fulfill prophecy. Yes. Additionally, that day, that first day of the week, of uh, Passover week, was the day for the examination um, and approval of the lambs. Because every group of eight of, out of that 2,500,000 people, they divided themselves into groups of eight at least. And when they did that, then they would... Uh, deliver a lamb or buy one from the money changers um, and the priest would examine the lamb to make sure it, would, it wasn't cross-eyed it didn't have a lame leg it, it was totally healthy it was sound it was ready for sacrifice and that's what they did with those lambs but on that day it was the examination and the approval of those lambs and Jesus himself presents himself as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was John the Baptist who instantly identified him when Jesus appeared at the Jordan to be baptized. And uh, while he, you know, he was not one to be sacrificed and roasted, okay, the other real, little lambs were done that, you know, so that the, when Passover, Passover takes place, it is roast lamb that is part of the meal. So even in the fulfilling of Scripture, at that point, Jesus remains unrecognized as Messiah. Um, he was viewed as expendable, hated, and condemned, as well as the crowd behind him that rejoiced over him. Jesus was there in the city at that time to cleanse the temple, which he did that same day. He was there at that time to engage with the religious elite to draw some ultimate lines in the sand. He was there in Jerusalem to utter his last parables. He was there to celebrate Passover with his disciples. And in, in so doing, he would break that unleavened flatbread and drink the cups of remembrance. He said, this is the last time I do this on the land of the living until, until you're with me again. <clears throat> but his point of that was to turn to his disciples and say, you do this in remembrance of me. Yes, some in that crowd had, had military agendas for him. The zealots had been fighting guerrilla-style, ambush-style warfare with the Romans for decades. And uh, they saw this opportunity to crown Jesus as king and, and anoint him as general in the wars of deliverance of Israel. 
But Jesus rode the tiny donkey, not the, not the war charger, to announce his presence. <clears throat> the Romans, they ignored him. There were so many of these charismatic, thank you. <laughs> there were so many of these charismatic teachers and leaders that would rise and fall in Palestine that they went, oh, here comes another one. And it was just, it meant nothing to them. They were there to keep the peace. The Pharisees and the Sadducees sought to silence him and used betrayal to do that. So Forge family, uh, let's just take a moment to ponder the two cries of the crowd. One is Hosanna. You know, save now, Lord. Hosanna in the mouth of the followers of Jesus. And on the other side, you've got crucify him in the mouth of the religious leaders. So don't we all have seasons of praise and, and, and thanks and we're at peace. And, and then along comes a season where what's happening to us hurts and what we long for doesn't happen. And we get grumpy with the Lord. We just get hurt or sorrowful or angry at him. I do. Okay, I believe that's common to us. Until we grow out of it. Okay? We do not give thanks for the good things that he does and then we swiftly forget them. Excuse me, we do give thanks for him, to him for the things that he does. You know, we're, we're so, so thankful today, thankful for children. Thank you for parents. But then we sort of go, oh, this marriage is hard. You know, or parenting children is hard. You know, so we, we start out well, but then we sort of walk away from it a little bit. Okay? And one thing that set Jesus apart was that he was constantly in praise to the Father. So if you want to walk in his footsteps, you set an alarm on your mouth. Maybe an alarm on your looks. Like my wife catches my facial expressions and goes, oh, he's not doing well. <laughs> so we, we set those alarms and we cut off complaint and demand, and we let our mouth say again, thank you from the heart. Even in your depths, even when you're just hanging on, learn to cry out, Hosanna. Save now, O Lord. For only he can lift your countenance and set your feet on the rock of your salvation. Uh, this event here opens Passion Week. Let me suggest that this week, you journal how many times you have the word Hosanna pass over your lips. How many times this week you're going to say, oh, thank you. Oh, save now, Lord. But with praise, with a, with a sense of, you may be desperate, okay, at that point, but you may, you're going to say, okay, Lord, you're it. You're the one. Hosanna. His name will be on your lips regardless whether you're down or you're up. It's all, it is Hosanna this week. <clears throat> Let's pray. God of the rocks that could and would cry out, we want to be ahead of them in our praise. Thank you, Lord, for a look into the life of Messiah as he comes to present himself to the priests. With his presence and his courage, within us. Prepare us for the moment, moments, Lord, 
when we present ourselves before the lost. Because of that cry, Hosanna, we have much to give thanks for today and when you use us to extend your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.